Set Court Podcast, a Tennis Now production sponsored by Tennis Express. I'm your host, Chris Otto, joining you Wednesday, January 30th. Happy to be with you to break down all things Australian Open. It was an incredible Aussie Open fortnight, and we saw over the weekend two big titles by two mega stars. Novak Djokovic wins his seventh Australian Open title, now stands alone on the all-time list ahead of Roger Federer, ahead of Roy Emerson. He absolutely demolished Rafael Nadal in the final 6-3, 6-2, 6-3. Djokovic, I find this hard to believe, but keep looking at these statistics over and over. He dropped 13 points on serve in 13 service games. We're going to talk about that match and a lot of other things that happened over the fortnight with Tennis Hall of Famer Steve Flink. Of course, most of you are familiar with Steve. He's been on this program several times. He's doing a lot of work for Tennis.com right now, so you can jump over to Tennis.com and read his recent articles. He's got one up about Djokovic's quest for 20 major titles, which he believes strongly in right now. And Matter of fact, so do I. And another article up there about Naomi Osaka's breakthrough performance at the Aussie Open. Osaka winning her second consecutive major now and becomes the first player to win her first two major titles in succession since 2001. It was a fantastic final for Osaka. And how about that performance in the final where she defeated Petra Kvitova in three very tense, very dramatic sets? So much stuff to talk about when it comes to the Aussie Open. Of course, we'll cover Djokovic and Nadal in depth when I hook up with Steve Flink in just a few moments. We're also going to talk a little bit about Serena Williams and that heartbreaking defeat that she suffered in the quarterfinals against Karolina Pliskova. Blew a 5-1 lead in the third set. Failed to convert on four match points. Of course, suffered the ankle injury, and that really was the beginning of her issues in that match. But we'll look ahead to Serena's 2019 and wonder what might be in store for her. We'll also look at the breakout performance of Stefano Tsitsipas, who was so amazing in Melbourne, defeating Roger Federer in one of the matches of the tournament and going on to reach his first major semifinal. And on the other side of that coin, we'll look at Sasha Zverev. The German has now played 15 majors and he's yet to reach a single major semifinal. Kind of wondering what's going on with Zverev and his coach Ivan Lendl and what we can look forward to from Zverev coming up in 2019. So, so much to talk about. Let's get right to our interview with Steve Flink and we'll join you on the other side. All right, we are still... Reeling from the Australian Open, it's Chris Otto here for the Lucky Let Cord Podcast. I'm very pleased to bring aboard my good friend, Tennis Hall of Famer, Steve Flink. How are you doing today, Mr. Flink? Oh, good, Chris. It's great to be back with you again. I always enjoy these podcasts. I'm really excited to speak with you, especially after the history that we saw made down under in Australia. I just read your piece entitled How Djokovic Might Be Able to Surpass Federer and Nadal Historically on Tennis.com. And that was a pretty powerful read. It kind of hit me, the historical implications of what Djokovic is kind of in the middle of. But before we talk about that piece, what what are your initial takeaways from the final between Nadal and Djokovic that we saw on Sunday? Well, I mean, I think it was one of those days when Djokovic was clearly in the zone, but not by sort of chance or accident. I think he really... He'd had his couple of struggles midway through the tournament there against Shapovalov and Medvedev, four setters, that he clear-cut winner, but where he had to work hard, where he wasn't at his sharpest. Then he found it against Puy in the semis, and I think he was making a statement there because uh, Rafa had just come off a 
2-4 in love win over Cispedes, and now he, he goes out and loses fewer games to Puy and carry that right over into the final. And I think he, I think both players knew those first three games were so critical, and when Novak lost only one point in the first three games and blitzed through that first set, losing one point on serve, he just put Rafa in, in, in such a bind. And I just thought it was impressive. We see him so often rely on his defense. This was not his defense. No. He was completely, completely dictating the terms of that match, and Nadal really didn't have any answers. I think physically maybe he was feeling that he was a little bit off physically in some ways, uh, which was surprising given that he hadn't lost a set on his way to the final. But I just believe that when Djokovic and Nadal, when Djokovic is at his very best, he's going to beat Nadal almost every time. And by the way, including on clay. It's, yeah, remarkable, right? I mean, Djokovic, uh, 34 winners versus nine unforced errors in that match. I mean, yes, it is. it was not Nadal's best performance, and I thought he, like you mentioned from the start, he seemed very passive. He didn't seem to want to take the baseline. If you look at the court positioning of the two over the course of that match, it's like Novak just right up there on the baseline owning the points, and Nadal very defensive, which surprised me given how little time he had spent on court and how aggressive he was playing. Did that su surprise you as well? Well, it didn't surprise me once I saw the way Djokovic was sustaining his length off the ground and every return coming back a foot from the baseline and his serve was so uh, deadly accurate from beginning to end that I think the, Rafa wasn't getting the openings and so it was, it was pretty routine for Novak to be able to control the baseline and be the aggressor and I felt like it wasn't – I wouldn't put that much blame on Rafa for that. I think it was more what was being thrown at him by Djokovic. Right. And, uh, he, and he did do a, a little better in the third set. That was when Rafa had his one break point. But that was already – he was down a break at that stage at 3-2. So it was – things were pretty desperate. And uh, I just thought it was one of those sublime performances from Djokovic. Best big match he's ever played. Certainly best major final he's ever played. And uh, it couldn't have come at a better time for him. Yeah, you're right. I mean, you mentioned in your article um, 13 service games, and he dropped just 13 points on serve. I mean, we thought a lot of the talk leading up to the final was about Nadal and how he had beefed up his serve and how he had held for 66 straight games, and then here we go into the final, and Novak just completely flipped the script there. Well, that, it's interesting you bring that up because in, in his semi, after his semifinal press conference, Djokovic was clearly a little perturbed, a little bit uh, irritated by all the talk about Rafa's serve. And he was saying things like, well, but my, he hasn't faced a returner like me. Mm -hmm. And you're talking, about Rafa, you're talking about Rafa's serve, but what about my serve? And I think it was his, and, he, and I think he kind of emphasized that point. He underlined his supremacy in, the, in those ways during the final, and it, it was remarkable to see it. And, yeah, you're right. I mean, that was a great string of holds for Rafa all the way in, but he, he really hadn't play, faced a great returner like this, and it showed. And uh, it just shows you that when they play each other, these guys, I mean, you're stepping into a different league. Brad Gilbert was on to that in the semifinals, when, uh, you know, saying that uh, Joe, uh, Rafa looked great against Cispedes, but he was – he was basically saying, look, it's going to be a whole different story when he plays Djokovic. I mean, what is going to be demanded of him? What is going to be required of him? And we sure found that out. Yep. And you talk about two things in your article that I found very interesting in, on Tennis.com. One is the fact that you truly believe now that Novak has 20 majors within sight. You think he might get there and even pass it over the next two, three years. And then two, you seem very confident 
and that Novak can put a, put the put his uh, right foot forward on the clay and defeat Nadal there. You seem to believe that he is. I don't know. It sounds like you think he's got the edge over Nadal heading into the, into Paris this year. Yeah, I do. I think he's realistic that he's got to really buckle down and play better clay court tennis than he did last year. But he knows he just wasn't right last year. He was just starting to come round psychologically. Lost to Rafa in the semis of the of Rome and played pretty well. Lost in straight, but very tight first set tie break. And he, um, but I do believe that. I mean, having seen him, knowing that he's beaten Rafa seven times on clay over the years, that he beat him once at Roland Garros in 2015 and lost the epic semifinal 9-7 in the fifth and 13, plus a couple of hard-fought finals as well in 12 and 14. I just believe that he at this stage of his career, it is better even on the clay. Not that it's going to be anything like what we saw in Melbourne. It's going to be a lot harder work and a lot longer match, but I still like his chances because I think his game translates just as well to that court and that he can still have Rafa on his heels. Uh, it, it'll be far more competitive, but I just like his chances. I don't see either one of them, by the way, losing to anybody else there. I'd be very surprised if either of them did. Yep. Could be a really incredible clay court season with the lead-up because you, f- you figure these guys are going to probably have a couple showdowns prior to Roland Garros and then head, yeah. into, head into the clay with Novak. People starting to think maybe he could win the calendar slam or at least hold all four majors. I mean, the, the, what Novak is doing right now, and you hit the nail on the head, it, it really looks and feels like he can go on another tear here, possibly a tear even better than the one we saw that ended uh, in 2016 with four straight Yeah, majors. I do think so. I do think so, Chris, because at that stage, who knows, there might have been things, there There were. There was a lot of rumors about his private life, who knows what it was, and certainly his elbow, for, without a doubt, started to get bad in that second half of 2016, and, and then he, and then he just was not a factor into, for so long, until uh, the middle of last year. But now I think he's so driven by this goal and he realizes he can't have another, he can't fall into another slump like he did then. Uh, I mean, if he's injured, there's nothing he can do about it. But he, he's gearing himself up psychologically to say, I'm going to try to win every one of these that I possibly can because he's been so openly stated about that goal, which I like. You won't, you know, Rafa and Roger won't necessarily talk that way. Djokovic has been very candid about uh, how he would like to someday get past Roger, and th- therefore he knows that the next seven or eight slams are, are critical for him. Yep. And, and, that, and I believe that that brought out the best in him in Australia, knowing that, and it will continue to the rest of the year. As you saw, I did predict, I think asking him to win the Grand Slam, is an ask, is a, that's a big ask. Right. And I, I'm not sure that's going to happen. I think more likely he wins, he wins. My prediction is that he'll win Roland Garros and Wimbledon or the Open, not both. But that would still leave him in great shape with 17 at the end of this year if he did that. Yep. And I wanted to ask you one thing that's made me curious over the last six months. So we've seen Novak have some losses that we didn't expect. Of course, any time he loses, we don't expect it the way he's playing right now. But losses to younger players like Tsitsipas, Hachinov, Zverev at the uh, ATP Finals, Batista Agu just a few weeks ago. I wonder, do you think he's approaching... After uh, First of all, after winning the Golden Masters in Cincinnati, do you think he's taking those matches a little more lightly, maybe a little less willing to like give everything that he has because he's kind of changed how he approaches his game and is more focused on the majors than before? I do think he's more focused on the majors for sure, but I don't think it, those, I think there are reasons for those losses. 
And I think in most of those cases, all of them, Bautista, Goud, Cispedes, you know, uh, uh, Cispedes maybe the, the least so because that was round of 16 and first tournament of the summer, not quite ready. But these other losses, Hatchinoff and, and the loss to Zarev in, in London, I, most of these cases I think he was a little worn out. These one-week tournaments don't give you any time to recover. And so if he has a long marathon semi as he did with Roger – in Paris, and then he, he was susceptible to Hatchinoff in a way that I don't think he would have been. And uh, and, and with Bautista Gut, again, he had a string of three-set matches leading up to Bautista Gut, and you could see physically he just was a little a little uh, worn out and it, it, and mentally a little stale. And I, that doesn't happen when he gets the days off at the majors. So he may be susceptible to some of those when he's not winning, as opposed to Shanghai, Chris, where he blitzed through the field, didn't lose his serve, didn't lose a set. He was phenomenal in Shanghai. That's the way he'd like to play in all those Masters 1000s. But if he gets in a string of three-set matches when you're playing day after day, those tournaments can be hard to navigate, even for someone as fit as Novak. Right. Well said. Well said. Uh, let's flip it a little bit and go to the other superstar of the Aussie Open, Naomi Osaka, second straight major, made, made quite a bit of history, becoming the first Asian number one um, you wrote well about her match, and what I took away from your article on her match is just how difficult that match was mentally and how it, impressive it was that she was able to overcome some of the pitfalls that she encountered in that match against Kvitova. Calling all iTunes podcast listeners. Just want to let you guys know you can find us on iTunes. Just open up your app, hit the search button, type in Lucky Let Cord Podcast, and voila, you'll see us there. If you have some time and you like the podcast, feel free to give us a rating and write us up with a review. That would mean a lot to us. Now back to the interview with Steve Flink. Absolutely, because if you think about it, uh, you think about it, and, and he's... Here's a woman on the verge of her second straight major. Triple match point in the second set for Naomi. Kvitova serves her way out of that and wins the set because Naomi, when she served for the match, played a pretty bad game. And there was no doubt that she was momentarily, briefly rattled. But then she immediately buckled down at the start of the third, got the early break, and withstood another surge from Kvitova, who at 2-4 in the third was down love 40 again, could have gone down two breaks and held on and made Naomi made it harder for Naomi to finish her off, but she did. And I think that showed a lot of maturity and a lot of match-playing prowess to get through that. And I, I, I thought it was terrific. It's probably a good thing for her to have to deal with circumstances like that because it looked like it was going to be a comfortable enough straight set win when she had triple match point in the second set. So I think it was a great thing for the women's game that it happened because, as you know, we've had eight different winners the last two years of the majors, and I think we need some continuity, which is what I wrote. And I... Not to say that Naomi has to win every major, but I think now she'll be a factor in, in almost all of them. And I think we're not, this will not be the last one we'll see her win, and she might even win one more before this year is out. And I think that's healthy for, for women's tennis because we've had too many players step into the big-time circle like that, uh, garner a major, and then not live up to it for quite a long time after. Right. I agree with you there. Although we can't blame Angelique Kerber, she's she's done her share of carrying the load. Oh, she has. No, she has. And coming back the way she did to win Wimbledon, like winning her third at Wimbledon last year, that was terrific. And uh, but uh, some of the others, you know, I, who's to know how many more Simona might win or Carolyn? Or there's a lot of players that you know maybe will have to settle for their one major or that they where they did get hot for two weeks. We don't know what's going to happen with Sloane Stevens. I do hope Sloane, who came back and made the finals of the French last year, was so close 
losing a hard-fought three-setter to Halep. She nearly had a second major, and we may yet see more from her. I certainly hope so, because I think the women's game needs that. It's fine to have variety and different winners, and we can have three different winners each year in the slams. That, might, that would be nice, but I'd just like to see someone step up and really get comfortable with winning a bunch of majors. Yep, and you want to see these names get deep consistently too. We just uh, the worst are those first and second round flameouts. They're disappointing for us. Looking forward to those matchups as we look at the draws ahead. But what does Naomi Osaka, in your opinion, have that the other young talents of the game don't have? Well, it's it, it, it's it's very, it's kind of it's hard to put your finger on it. Uh, a part of it is I think that she 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 has this ex, this sort of easy explosive power off the ground. And coupled with with one of the, the the best serves in women's tennis, so I think that she just has a very good, well-rounded game. And we haven't seen much on the volley from her yet. That will come. That will be a part of her game that I think we'll see improve in the years ahead. But what she can do off the ground, off both sides, hugging the baseline, taking the ball early, going down the line, and a serve that I think is excellent. It 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 just makes her you know it, it, those are tough combinations to beat and when she does learn to come forward more and get some command on the volley then she's going to be even more diversified and tougher to beat. Do you think that will happen? In your experience, being such a historian of the sport, we tend to project improvements that players will make, but they don't always make these improvements. Am I correct? Or do you do you think she's on? No, you're right. You're right. I just feel like she's the kind of player who could and probably will that's just my that's my gut tells me about about her but mm-hmm. you're right in a lot of other cases they sort of they're sort of st- stuck in their ways which is not all bad mm-hmm. and they play the way they're comfortable playing and they don't necessarily expand their games but i feel like she creates the openings that can would allow her to get to the net more and i think i think it's something that she's going to work on uh, pretty consistently. Mm-hmm. And uh, another player I'm super curious to hear your take on is Serena Williams. She had a heartbreaking defeat to Karolina Pliskova in Australia. She still put forth a pretty good performance, taking out Simona Halep. Uh, is Serena running out of time here, and what does she need to do to get back on top of the sport? Yeah, I don't know if she's she, she, running out of time, possibly. It, it depends on how long she's willing to stay out there and compete. I think that was a pretty jarring loss in the sense that she was 5-1 up in the third and match point, and that's when she kind of hurt her ankle slightly at, and, and ends up win, losing six games in a row, and not at all just because of the ankle, as she acknowledged in her press conference later. And it was a great comeback from Pliskova, but obviously Serena will be haunted by that. I mean, you're one point away from the semis, and you know, and you got a chance now to play Naomi again and maybe go on and win the title. But I also don't think she's totally discouraged. So the way I look at it is unlikely, very unlikely to win the French, but a good chance to get herself back into the, the finals of Wimbledon in the Open, and maybe she can win one of those this year. I still think she's going to be right in the thick of things, and I don't think time's run out yet. I would say that maybe by the end of next year I might say that if she still hasn't won one. But I still think there, there's plenty of time now at, at the level she's playing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, one last topic I'm dying to touch upon. Two players that are kind of on, been on similar paths for a while. One made a step-up performance. That was Stefano Tsitsipas of Greece, who made the semifinals and upset Roger Federer. The other being Sasha Zverev of Germany, who had another disappointment at the majors. Uh, how do you see the future f- for these two shaping up, in, specifically in 2019? 
So what you're talking about, Sa- Sasha Zarev, and the second one is is Sitsipas. They're kind. Oh know. yeah, all right, okay. Well, let's start with Zarev. Zarev, that was immensely disappointing because he's playing uh, Milos Raonic. It's clearly a tough match, you know, and they've had hard fought contests in the past, and Milos is fully capable of beating him, but it should never be one, one, and six. I mean, the first two sets were embarrassing, and he was. I don't think it was that he wasn't trying, but he certainly wasn't performing well, and he. He got into a negative frame of mind, then fought back in the third and nearly won the third. But that's got to be disappointing to him. He just keeps coming up short, major after major. It's no reason that he shouldn't be really effective in best-of-five set matches. Yeah. He's young. He's fit. There's, uh, it's, it's not a question that he doesn't have the stamina, but somehow he's not mentally, uh, mentally uh, gearing himself up for these majors how can a guy win these Masters 1000s as he has and close the year last year and win the ATP World Championships over Federer and Djokovic back-to-back and then go to a major and perform like this? Lendl, who's his coaching him, is going to be very upset about that. I think, he'll, I think they'll probably have some good long talks about him one of these days. I mean, I, I still believe his time will surely come, but I'm surprised that it's lingering like that in the majors for him. We haven't seen him go beyond the quarters. Cispedes, different story, obviously broke through first major semifinal gritty win over Federer because Roger had four set points, 12 break points, and then four set points on Sisbis' serve late in the second set right. to go up two sets to Loved, wasn't able to do it. and uh, But that was a, a very courageous win on his part. And then he backed it up, beat Bautista Good on a very hot day, and finally it, it ran out of steam against Nadal, who was at the top of his game. But I thought that was probably good for him to get the rude awakening against Nadal and not assume that because you're beating the likes of Federer that it's going to be that way automatically against the other top players. But that was a big step for him. And I think we'll see him in some more latter stages of majors this year and then maybe by next year. Don't think Cispedes this year will win a major, but by next year, that's when I think he could be contending. Mm-hmm. And back to that Nadal match, that was clearly a, a, an eye-opener for him, it just didn't have any answers for the way Nadal played him. Do you think he can flip the switch and figure Nadal's game out fairly quickly, or is this something where you think he might be suffering uh, quite a few losses to the Spaniard? It's going to be interesting. I mean, because I watched their other two matches, one on clay last year in Spain, which you would expect it was a big deal for him to be in the finals against Rafi, got killed in straight. And then they played in the finals of Canada in the Masters 1000 over the summer, and Rafa was destroying them there too, up Six two five four serving for the match and almost let that set slip away. But that was all about Nadal's nerves. It really wasn't anything that the Cispedes did that was that special. Rafa really got tight and admitted it. And now we have this match in Australia. So it does appear to be a very difficult matchup for him. But he seems to be someone who's, who, who learns and who can figure things out. And we'll have to see a, a few more matches there. But those first three tell me something when you look at the passage of time between the spring of last year up until Australia this year that each time it would be so clear-cut and then to lose the last set six love in Australia and I don't think he'd given up but I think he was a little befuddled about what to do and how to stop Nadal from uh, dictating the terms to him. And lastly, circling back to Alexander Zverev, um, who's clearly disappointed us, I think it's 15 majors now where he hasn't reached the semi once. Um, do you start to worry about him? Have you seen this from a player before with this much promise that hasn't been able to break through? And do you start to worry about him, or do you think, oh, nah, he's just 21. This, you need to take a step back and just give it time. There's clearly a hurdle there, but it, it, given time, he'll be fine? 
Yeah, more the latter. I think more the latter. I'm a little concerned. It should because he even thought by the never mind last year's open, the 2017 open. He'd come off winning a Masters 1000 this summer. You know, he beat Federer. He thought he really thought that he was gonna had a, a shot at the Open, and now here we are, and in, we're into 19 now. He still hasn't been past the quarters. It was a good effort, Roland Garros, to make the last eight there it last was. year, but but of course a string of five setters ruined him, and he was really physically spent and hurt when he lost to Team. So I I still think we have to give him the time, and I think we have to give Lendl's more time to get his message across and he he will help him with that he knows he struggled in the majors himself when he was young and it took him a while to get comfortable i think i think he'll be able to help him a lot in terms of pacing himself with best of five and how to deal with those circumstances so yeah i think he's far too young for us to get discouraged about him but i do hope i think it would be important for him to at least once this year at the minimum get to a semi-final in a major and hopefully a final yeah, for sure. I, maybe Roland Garros is his place to, to to make these milestones at the majors. I'm not sure that's the one he'd be able to win, but he seems to be comfortable there on that clay. Yeah, he likes the clay. And Djokovic mentioned him, which was interesting, and when he was sort of citing some of the dangerous people at Roland Garros, there's no doubt he's very, very good on clay, but I also think he's great on the other. I think he's a very good all-surface player. I'm not worried about him tra- you know, transferring to the grass at Wimbledon or he's certainly great on hard courts as he's shown so I I, I believe he could fare well at at any of these but I think it's important for him to make a move soon at least into the latter stages so he sets the stage for something uh, more substantial next year yeah get that weight off his shoulders as well Um, absolutely thanks Steve for your time anything that you want to plug we talked about your articles at tennis.com anything else you're up to in the next few weeks or months no no I'm just I'm, I'm gonna get, get I'll be I'll be plugging away in those columns and nothing more to say but I as usual I really enjoyed the discussion Chris it's always fun bouncing these ideas around with you it certainly is and uh, fans of yours can find you on Twitter I'm not sure everybody knows about it so what's your, what's your Twitter Twitter handle again <laughs> you can't ask me those questions. Do I'm I have an to tell you? Guy. I have to tell you what it is. I, I, you'll have to tell me. All right, I'll tell you. I just, I just go on and tweet. At S Flinko is where you find the is. wisdom of is. Steve Flink on Twitter. It's, a, it's, a, it has a growing following. So if you guys haven't checked it out, please do so at S Flinko. And Steve. Yeah, I appreciate that. I appreciate that because you know what? I've enjoyed it. I try to go on more. I'm trying to do it more regularly now. And I uh, I do like being able to just to use it to just to spread some facts and try to do some interpretive thinking out there too. And it, I, I I'm getting more of a more of the hang of it now. It's taken a while. Definitely, I think you have it down by now. And I always look forward to your tweets. And I think everybody else should as well. So Steve, appreciate your time. Let's talk again soon. I'm looking forward to seeing you down the road this season. It could be an epic 2019 tennis season. No, I think it will be, Chris. I think it will be. We're all looking forward to it, and, and we're certainly going to follow very closely the, the flight of Novak Djokovic. For sure. All right, we will talk again soon. Thank you, Steve. Thank you, Chris. Thanks for having me on. This edition of the Lucky Leg Court Podcast is a wrap. Special thanks to Steve Flink for joining us. Don't forget to check out Steve on Twitter, at SFlinko. Also hit him up at Tennis.com and read those articles about Djokovic and Osaka. 
Thank you so much for listening to today's edition of the Lucky Let Court Podcast. Reminder, you guys can find us on social media at tennis underscore now on Twitter, facebook.com slash tennis now on Facebook. You can also find us on Instagram. And of course, you can find this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or our homepage at Podomatic. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll look forward to talking with you again soon.